Welcome back to the Caught Red Podcast. We are your hosts. I'm Jesse Light. I'm Megan Light. We are just two dog lovers talking about true crime, horror movies, and most likely our dogs too. We are recording this on Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day, everyone. We're going to make this episode short and sweet for everybody. Are we checking out the Deadbolt Society digital boxes? Yeah, I wasted our ink and 12 pages of paper. Well, then we definitely are, because I'm going to need all that paper for tax season coming up. Print all my shit out. But yeah, if y'all are looking for something to do... That's free. That's free. Go to Deadbolt Society. It's where we we do those murder mystery boxes. Yeah, 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 yeah. That keep us busy for like two to three hours every time. They're so much fun. I want to get... Ripley, find yourself a spot. Thank you. I want to get another shelf or two, and the ones we've done, I want to put them on display on the wall. Ah, yes. Among other things we need shelves for in this room. So there's two free ones on there, right? I don't know if there's two. I just printed off one. Oh, you did? Well, that'll keep us busy. We attempted to watch Night Swim, and it didn't go so well. It was on Megan's brother's box thing, and it kept on freezing up. So We need to watch it probably in the living room. We have more success watching stuff. Yeah, we'll definitely give it another go because that was an intriguing one Mm -hmm. that I wanted to see what happened. And then we watched Villains. Oh, yeah, with uh, Bill Skarsgård. And your girl. My girl. Who's my girl? From The Closer. Oh, yeah. Brenda Lee. Brenda Lee was in it. That was interesting. I wouldn't say it was good. Yeah, no. But. No, it was weird. It was definitely strange. It was very weird. And it had uh, the guy from Burn Notice. Yes. Or, well, you say Hitch. Yes, he was in Hitch. Jeffrey Donovan. He was the douchebag in Hitch. But it was about a pair of criminals that breaks into a suburban home. And they're infatuated with each other. Yes, they stumble upon a dark secret that the two homeowners will do anything to keep from getting out, basically. Yep. Megan's got a case for us today. Is it going to be like a lover's quarrel thing since it's Valentine's Day, or is it something different? It's something different. All right. I mean, it's the same old, same old, you know. (laughs) What, Black Widow? No. No? No, No, I think that'll be maybe my next one. Kind of-ish. I don't know. Well, like, I didn't even just... This wasn't the one I wasn't going (laughs) to... I wasn't even going to do this one. I had something else picked out, and then I came across this, and I was like, huh. Happens all the time. All the freaking time. Hi, Derby. You guys sit next to me? We need some more recommendations, people. Yeah. We kind of have one. I told you we have permission to do oh, one. Oh, yeah. So. We'll have at it. Okay. I'm ready to hear what you got. Sources are... The Encyclopedia of Arkansas. I got some case law because, you know, that's always fun to read through those. I looked at some LinkedIn profiles. Then we've got 
KLAX ABC 31 News, Channel 5 News, which is KALB, The Town Talk, Hickson Brothers, Daily Crime, a Facebook video, which was kind of like a news clipping of an interview of a family, one of the families. And then on Hulu, there is a show, Southern Gothic, which I've watched before for another one, Katie Autry. And it was, this one was uh, season one, episode five. It's called The Bloodshed in the Bayou. All right. Our episode is going to be in Louisiana this week. Alexandra, to be exact. It is in the top 10 of the largest cities in the state. It is south of the Red River, which is the region they call Cajun Country. This river connects our state as well as Oklahoma and Texas to Louisiana. Arkansas actually has quite a history with this river. There is archaeological evidence that a small population of people were living along the Red River from Fulton, Arkansas to Shreveport. During the Mississippian period, which is roughly 8900 to the 1600s, several historical expeditions went down this river. The Red River's main purpose for centuries was the transportation between the Mississippi River and west of where Shreveport, Shreveport is now. Some years leading up to 1927, the U.S. Congress had used the Red River to study navigation and flood control until there was a dam built in 1938 near Denison, Texas. In 1946, there's additional dams, locks, and canals that were constructed along the river. In 1978, Texas, Oklahoma, Arkansas, and Louisiana representatives signed the Red River Compact as a means of conserving and protecting the river and then giving each state their portions of the water in the river. And that has nothing to do with today's story. I just thought it was kind of cool because I came across it while I was looking stuff up. So there's your history lesson. Is that the little, is that the little red river, I guess? I always hear it called as the little red. You know what? I only saw red river. I didn't see a little red river. It might be different. I didn't look into it that much. I just looked at the Encyclopedia of Arkansas, and that was all listed on there. I didn't know it was that long. I thought it was just an Arkansas River. Mm-mm. Huh. Four states. Anyways, back to the city of Alexandra. Living in this nice town was, and probably still is, the Carnahan family. Daniel, Pamela, and their daughter, Kelsey. Pamela was born Pamela Dean Heimbach, on September 27th, 1980 in Flatwoods, Louisiana, which is 30 minutes, give or take, of a drive to Alexandra. Her parents, Robert and Peggy, relocated their family because Robert got a job as a police officer in Pineville, which is part of Alexandra's metropolitan area. It was quite a culture shock for the family, but in the end, it was the best choice for the Heimbach family because Pamela had some developmental and learning disabilities, and Alexandra was far more equipped to help her. It had more resources. It had a great structure. She thrived there. The school system not only taught her what she needed so she could graduate from high school with all her friends, 
but it gave her her life skills. Pam was one to always be as independent as possible. When she was 24, she would meet the man she would call her husband, Daniel Carnahan. Daniel and Robert Jr., who is Pam's older brother, they were friends, and Pam and Daniel just clicked. There was an age gap. If I found the right Daniel Carnahan, he's probably about 12 years or so older than Pam was. So quite a difference, especially if she was somebody with developmental issues. Her brother probably gave his approval because, you know, they were buddies. Pam and Daniel dated for two years, and then they would get married, and then another two years would go by, and they would have their daughter, Kelsey Elizabeth, in 2009. Daniel worked two jobs to provide for his family. The first job was as a janitor for the Pineville High School, and the other was doing odd and end jobs at an apartment complex. And I don't think he worked for the same one that his family lived in, his work ones never mentioned, but they lived in the Chateau de Ville apartment complex. Pamela was just a housewife and a stay-at-home mom. It was the best job she could have ever imagined having. Pam's family made it sound like the couple had trouble conceiving, so when their baby girl came along, Pam was 100% dedicated to her daughter. The day that everyone in the Carnahan family and their close friends lost a beautiful soul was May 9th, 2014. The first person to notice that something was not right happened to be the school bus driver, Jim Saints. The Chateau de Ville apartments were near a neighborhood called Martin Park and Martin Park Elementary School and I don't know if this is the one their daughter actually attended, but it's the closest to the complex. It's located across Highway 71. Every day, Pamela would walk Kelsey to the stop, and she was always there waiting to walk her home, except on this day. The bus driver pulled up to the stop and noticed that Pamela wasn't there. He peeked around along Lakeside Drive and the road leading up to the complex, but he didn't see her walking. And I said, Pamela was devoted to her daughter. She would have been there. She wouldn't, she would never be late to pick her up. When the driver doesn't see her, he tells Kelsey to go sit back down and he will call her aunt, Karen Frazier. And Karen happened to be a teacher at the school. So the bus driver already knew her. Mr. Saints informed the aunt, who is Daniel's sister, that Pamela wasn't there. And he took Kelsey to meet her aunt at another spot. Aunt Karen had already called hers and Daniel's parents to know what was going on. The Carnahan parents, Karen and Kelsey, all went to the apartment at the Chateau de Ville, apartment number 404, and knocked on the door. No one answered. After a couple attempts, Karen decided to head home and she left Kelsey with her grandparents. During that time, Karen had also called Daniel to see if he knew where Pam could have been. Daniel had even tried calling to check in with Pam at different points during his workday. When she didn't answer, he wasn't too concerned because it's not like it's the first time that she was busy cleaning or, as he said, she gets absent-minded about having a phone around. So it wasn't a big deal to him. But now he's concerned because it wasn't just him who was trying to call her. And he knew that 
if Kelsey didn't get picked up, something was wrong. Winston, Daniel and Karen's father, decided to meet Daniel at his second job. So his janitorial job at the high school ended about 4 p.m. And so his dad was going to go meet Daniel at his second job and see if he could get his spare key or Daniel's key to their apartment just to see if everything's okay. And he did this because he didn't think Daniel was going to be able to leave work. But ultimately, Daniel was probably like, fuck this. It's kind of important. Right. Work. So he decided to leave work early and he rushed home. His dad decided to just meet him at the apartments. Daniel unlocked his door and the men went inside. Nothing seemed wrong or out of place, but the further into the apartment they went, they soon spotted Pamela's umbrella just laying in the middle of the floor. It was supposed to be a rainy day that Friday. Beyond the umbrella appeared to be a bloody shoe impression in the carpet going down the hallway towards Daniel and Pam's bedroom. Inside the bedroom, the men found a horrible discovery. Laying there, surrounded by and covered in blood, was Pamela. Just as Daniel began to rush to his wife's side, his dad pulled him back. He kept saying to Daniel, don't touch anything, don't touch anything. Smart man. Daniel's father, Winston, used to be a sheriff's deputy. Oh, that explains For it. the area, yes. And so he knew whatever evidence was in that room needed to be preserved. He went from, like, worried father-in-law to, boom, cop. Right there, in seconds. I think he's owed more credit to this investigation than he was given, if he was given any, because he made sure the scene was not contaminated to the best of his ability within those few minutes of being in the apartment because he took himself and his son outside and then called 911. That would be so hard to not touch her, though. I know. Well, if you were on the ground, I'd run to you, too. Yeah. And then they blame you on my death. Probably. It's always his spouse. Those involved in this case are not just limited to Officer Sherry Silas, Deputy Wade Bourgeois, Lieutenant William Bates, Dr. Candace Jones, who's a DNA expert, and then Dr. Christopher Tate. But they are the ones that I found that testified during the trials and the appeals. And I don't really name them throughout the case, but I want to at least give their names out now because there's a lot of names and that would just be a... Jesse would get lost, so. You're right. Pamela's body had been found in the master bedroom. She was laying on the ground next to the bed on her back. Her left knee had been bent with her knee pointed inwards to her right leg And then her foot sticking out so you can kind of visualize. Is her leg broken? No, just her hip was turned inward. Oh. She'd been fully clothed. Upon further inspection of the scene, there was an empty condom wrapper between her legs. Next to her was a piece of what looked like a broken knife handle. Once they moved Pam's body, there were more pieces of the knife handle, smaller ones, And then there was a piece of a blue latex glove. The kitchen was searched and it was discovered the knife handle did not match the set in the Carnahan's house. Impressions and photographs of the shoe prints were taken. There were no 
boxes or random gloves and drawers. So those blue gloves didn't come from them. There were also no condoms in their apartment. So whoever had done this was prepared. He knew what he was doing. Knew what he wanted. He knew what he was going to do to Pam Wright. When he woke up that Friday morning, whoever it is, this man wanted to sexually assault her. This was probably not his first rodeo. The fact that he came equipped with condom, gloves, trying to not leave any trace of himself. Was the door broken into? No. So she let someone in, maybe? Well, we'll get to that. But good thinking. This man had planned on instilling fear into Pam, forcing himself on her because he brought that weapon, the knife. A cheap-ass knife if it was... (laughs) Yeah, The handle was broken. Towards the end of the crime scene search, the investigators did discover that Pam's wallet and keys were missing. Were the bloody footprints, they were going out of the bedroom? They weren't going towards the bedroom, I assume. Right. But they followed him to the bedroom. Pamela's autopsy was performed by the man I named earlier, Dr. Christopher Tate. Results showed that she had been dead six to eight hours. She had no injuries to her genitals. There was a circular injury to her left hand that looked like a bite mark. It was swabbed and then sent off for DNA testing. She had defensive wounds. The cause for her homicide were the 14 stab wounds to her face and neck, among others. There was about 20 total. This type of attack showed rage. It wasn't like there was one or two stab wounds. There was up to 20, and with enough force to break the knife. Well, she was fighting back. Exactly. She fought back to keep her clothes on, to stay alive. I guess it just pissed her killer off enough to be that violent with her stabbings can be seen as more personal because you're in a close vicinity to your victim but on the flip side of that knives are easier to gain access to than say like a gun so knives are more convenient also of course naturally the investigators want to ask daniel about his day the husband is always the first person of interest and they needed to establish a timeline for pamela's day That morning had a strong chance of rain, so Daniel had dropped his girls off by the bus stop. Like I said before, Pam and Kelsey normally walked, but he didn't want them to get soaked. Pamela did bring her umbrella because she'd be walking back home. Daniel then drove off and headed to work at the Pineville High School. He arrived about 740 Daniel did everything asked of him. He showed off every part of his body to prove he had no scratch marks, markings. There was no blood on him or his clothing. Plus, the high school has cameras, and so they were able to track him throughout the day. So he's ruled out very quickly. With their suspicions of Daniel out of the way, investigators go back to the scene, back to the Chateau de Ville. Officers went door-to-door asking neighbors if they had seen or heard anything. Who knew Pam? Did anyone have an idea of her daily routine? No one had any complaints about her. No one noticed anything out of the ordinary or anyone strange wandering the complex. The detectives looked for the maintenance man because who else has a key to every apartment? 
They needed to question him because the Carnahan's apartment had been locked when Daniel and his father arrived, meaning someone had a key to the door. So on paper, it was rational for them to think the maintenance man would be a good suspect, but he was ruled out too. And then you have to think back, her wallet and keys were missing from the scene, so they soon figure out the killer locked the door after he had left. Gotcha. Go ahead. Did they ever find the wallet and keys? They will not, no. No. The Chateau de Ville complex didn't have any security cameras of their own. They might now because of this. But luckily, there's a business located in front of the apartments that had a few. This business is located along Lakeside Drive, which is the main road you would turn off of to head towards the apartments. This business with the camera is listed as Sela or Sela Beauty Supply, 4011 Lakeside Drive, according to Google Earth Maps. And that picture was taken in December 2023, whether that was the business back then or not. The investigators go through the footage all the way back to the morning of Friday. Barely inside the frame, you can see Daniel's car drive to where the part of Lakeside Drive meets the main section, so from the apartment straight forward. And I know it sounds kind of weird because I've seen it, so I was trying to, like, explain it out. So the streets are kind of odd. Lakeside Drive itself connects Highway 167 to another main road so it's like this street is one of those like cut through real quick streets but the apartments are on like a a semicircle on the back end but they still consider it lakeside drive not like lakeside circle and i figured we put a picture up on instagram so people can see what i'm trying to talk about so they can see to the apartment though no, not no. quite. So it it shows how close the bus stop is to where the apartments are. So the footage shows Pamela and Kelsey exiting the family car. You see the bus drive off. You see Daniel turning off to go to work. Then you see a figure who's presumed to be Pam walking back towards the complex. And then another camera on the right side of the building, so not the front, but the other side, is kind of like following Pamela. She's still walking to the complex and she's a little bit closer to the apartments, but that's it. After like a minute or so, she's walked far enough away that the camera no longer captures her. And was there somebody behind her? No. Huh. So her in that footage, plus the Emmy concluding when her death happened, means that Pamela was likely attacked as soon as she walked back to her apartment. Yeah, I was trying to do the math there, too, and yes. it seemed like it had to be that if her early hus- in the morning. Yeah, if her husband made it to work about 7.40-ish, she's been dead six to eight hours. Right when she put her key in the lock, probably, he got her. Mm-hmm. Pamela was laid to rest one week later on Friday, May 16th. She had been 33 at the time of her death. Though her roots were in Flatwoods, she was buried in Alexandra. You can see the type of person she was to others by reading through the comments left by friends and family of the community page, her memorial page. It would be a few weeks until one of the lab results came in. 
And the first thing that investigators learned was that the bloody shoe print matched a size 10 and a half Nike Air Force Ones. There were none of these in the Carnahan's apartment. The DNA on the condom wrapper didn't directly leak to any perpetrator, mainly because Pam's blood had contaminated it. As if the Alexandra police didn't have their hands full with Pamela's case and whatever others are on their desk, close to a month after Pam's death, another body is found on June 2nd. This belonged to 26-year-old Shaterica Brewer. She had been reported as missing on May 30th, 2014, by her family. She had two daughters and two sons. She hadn't shown up for work. Unknown when on the timeline exactly, but her car had been discovered and someone had lit it on fire on Duhon Lane. And Duhon Lane runs along the back side of the Chateau de Ville apartments. Shaterica's body was found. It had gotten caught on a limb in the water and a fisherman found it in the Red River, just south of the Purple Heart Bridge, which meant it was under Alexander Police's jurisdiction. The autopsy showed that she died of manual strangulation sometime before she went into the water because there was none in her lungs. So, great. Did the same man strike for a second time? That's what everyone's thinking. Two murders done in a close proximity Conducted in manners that are very personal, stabbing and strangulation. I mean, probably lives in those apartments, too. If the Alexandria police could just solve one of these, maybe it would solve the other. So they start digging into Shaterica's life. One week later, the Alexandria police brought in 23-year-old Brad Johnson into their custody. He was arrested on June 6, 2014. Police told the news that Brad had admitted to killing Shaterica. He didn't say why he did it or how he knew her. They did come across him initially when they were going through her phone records. At that time, he'd been working or he was training at Camp Beauregard, which is in Pineville. Camp Beauregard is the Louisiana National Guard's training center. I don't know if he ever spoke up about his motive or not. I wasn't able to find more or any connection other than on her, like, find a grave page. It said that she was in the ROTC in high school, but I doubt that connected them unless there's, like, a military-ish kind of bar or, like, a hangout spot that they both went to. Maybe they just crossed paths there. There's a three-year difference for them. Yes. Yeah, but then how is he connected to Pamela? Right. Brad Johnson had been charged with second-degree murder and arson, but he ends up pleading guilty to manslaughter and given 15 years with no parole and then no probation following his release. So the DA, in this case, decided to go with a plea to the lesser charge because there was a chance that evidence could be suppressed and excluded at trial, which, of course, the family of Shaterica Brewer didn't know that at the time, so when they hear that he's getting a plea deal for lesser charge, they're upset. But there was speculation that Brad 
Johnson has a diminished mental capacity and he didn't fully understand his rights. So there was a chance that they could have just thrown the whole case out. So they went with the plea deal. What was, uh, did they go into detail about the text messages at all? I just nope. wonder like what they talked about. I know. Nope. Couldn't find it anywhere. To make them suspect him and then for him to immediately right. give himself up. Correct. DNA taken and then his own words saying, I didn't do it. They did eliminate Brad Johnson from their suspect pool in Pamela's murder. So that was just a coincidental really? death in the same area. The fact that he murdered this poor woman just... Uh, I believe the episode said where her car on fire was found on Duhon Lane was 350 yards from the apartment complex. So that was just pure coincidence. I'm sure Pamela's family had a hard time with that, too, yeah. because they were probably following the news. And It's been a couple months, and you saw this one right away, but nothing yeah. for Pam. So two months after Pam's murder, more DNA results came in. The lab was unable to retrieve any DNA from the bite mark on Pam's left hand. I was going to ask if he wore size 10 and a half shoes, too, but... He may have. He may have. I do. <laughs> oh, yeah, you do. Yeah. Not Air Force Ones, but... You got a lot of boots downstairs, though. Yep. The investigators had taken samples from two other men, but with those results coming back, those two men could have been possible persons of interest, but the DNA from the latex glove piece and then the knife handle excluded them. But still, that meant they had a profile to work with. So that profile from the knife handle and that little piece of latex glove went into CODIS and fingers crossed that that guy was in the system and ding, ding. Yeah, because this couldn't have been his, his first. first time. No right, way. right. They had a winner, Julius Jamal Garnett. By the age of 27, which was what he, how old he was at the time, he had a lengthy record including burglary in 2004, kidnapping in 2007, attempted murder in 2007, stalking in 2013. So just a year prior. The police had already suspected that Pamela's killer was a stranger. But Julius Garnett wasn't just any stranger. He was her neighbor. The Carnahan's apartment was number 404. He was living in 410 with his sister and her kids and then another little brother. And here is some shit. When the police were conducting their canvas of the complex, they knocked on her door. She had been asked all the basic questions. You know, do you know what happened? Do you know Pamela? Blah, blah, blah. And she wasn't exactly truthful and forthcoming she wasn't anything illegal she did she just didn't exactly tell them everything they needed to hear later in the trial she testified that yes julius used her address as his residence for his probation but he didn't always live with her it was just mainly her her kids and then another brother of theirs who had some mental disorders like schizophrenia and bipolar so when they originally asked her if who lived at her apartment. She didn't say Julius lived there. Correct, because he didn't. He just crashed there on occasion. Hmm. She also told them uh, in her testimony that he kept clothes there, but he didn't 
lived there all the time. When investigators go back to her apartment with a search warrant, they would end up finding condoms, the same brand, from Pamela's apartment, blue latex gloves that she says she uses for cleaning, a matching utensil set to the broken handle, and then there were three pairs of Nike Air Force Ones in a closet used by her brother Julius. Ten and a halfs? Ten and a halfs. And Did they swab the bottoms of them? It had been a couple months and there was no evidence left on them. And you had asked earlier... No, Pamela's wallet and keys were not in that apartment, and they never did find them. Uh, he, so dum- he dumped those for sure. They're probably down in some sewage area. Yeah. The DNA from Pamela's scene didn't match the other brother that lived in that apartment, which they were trying to use him as, you know, doubt. Be like, oh, there was another male in that apartment. And then, of course, the DNA expert is like, that's not him. It only matches one person. And it's not this brother, it's Julius. Investigators issued an arrest warrant for Julius Garnett, but he wasn't at the apartment at the time of the search. They would start their manhunt on July 25th, 2014. But 24 hours later, they had already, you know, blasted his picture on the news and he was all over the place. He just turned himself in. And as Garnett is sitting with the investigators, he's denying everything. Even when they were like, look, we got evidence. Evidence that is indisputable. It's in, it places you in the apartment and it told us that you murdered Pamela Carnahan, but why did you do it? And if you're watching the clips from that episode, it's got like, you know, the interview clips on there. It just sounds like Garnett's being stubborn. And then he tries to like challenge the findings, like show me. What do you have that places me there? And his confident level is like, I mean, it's so high. But then, of course, he gets knocked off that pedestal real fast. Julius Garnett was to be tried for second degree murder. But the prosecutor said he killed Pamela while trying to commit rape. So the charge was raised to first degree murder. Good. Yes. His first trial ends in a mistrial, March 2016. A juror was not truthful during their selection process. The second trial lasted just three days, and it took the jury only two hours to find him guilty, 11 out of the 12, which makes me wonder what that one jury thought made him not guilty. They already had issues on the first round, the first trial with some juror not being honest. So it's like, what? Did they know him and lied? Probably. Garnett's defense tried to create doubt by placing blame on Daniel Carnahan, the husband, or Garnett's mentally ill brother. But like I said, the DNA was the whole reason he's convicted. His DNA is not going to match anyone except an identical twin, and he didn't have one. That sucks for his brother. (laughs) Have to go through that. He has no idea what's going on either. He was sentenced to life in prison without possibility of parole, but his terror didn't end with his, uh, with the end of his trial. So Pamela's family gave victim impact statements. Pamela's father, Robert Heimbach, called Garnett the lowest piece of crap on this earth. 
in which Garnett replied, I'll slap the shit out of you. Pamela's dad continued with asking Garnett if killing his daughter made him a big man, and he told Garnett that he had no respect for him, and he said he wouldn't be able to do to him what he wanted. And then Garnett replied with, you can try, I'll fuck your stupid ass up. At that point, the judge is like, "Uh uh-uh, Garnett out. So they escort him out of the courtroom, which meant that Daniel didn't get to make his victim impact statement, but I think her family probably said enough for everyone. Time has cooled off a little bit, you know, and Garnett is brought back into the room, and the judge has a couple of things that she would like to end with. The judge said that she found no reasoning for Garnett's actions towards Pamela, and if she could give him more time than life in prison, she would. Give him 500 years like that one guy. 220? Yeah. Julius Garnett is currently incarcerated in the Louisiana State Pen. And the saddest part to me in all this is Kelsey. She's only five when her mother was taken from her. During that episode on Southern Gothic, one of Pamela's cousins was talking about the visitation and how it was open casket. And Kelsey had gone up to her mother and asked, where are my mommy's glasses? She can't see without them when she wakes up. And of course, Pamela's glasses had been destroyed during her struggle with Garnett. But it was because of her struggling with her attacker that her fighting left all that evidence so they could convict the man that killed her. And that's the story of Pamela Carnahan and Shaterica Brewer. Good job, love. Thanks. What are the odds that two women get killed so close in proximity to each other and then have nothing to do with each other, too? Yeah, that's pretty wild, unless it was an area that is crime-ridden, but it doesn't sound like it was, I guess. I, I don't know the area very well. It's a I mean, like, bigger-ish city, and they all have, you know, bad spots. Yeah, you go to Little Rock, that shit happens all the, all time. the time. It's like, well, yeah. It did make me think that maybe they weren't the highest-income-ish apartments because Daniel worked two jobs, and but at the same time... and. You know, she was able to stay home. So I don't know if Pam could really work and hold a job. And that's why he has the second one. It doesn't look like it's a great area on Google Earth Maps. Either, oh, okay. But still, I mean, that man. I don't know if robbery was even part of the motive or he just took the wallet because he was passing by, like, to go out the door. Maybe her purse was right there open. He just took it, and then he saw the keys and locked it behind him. Or rape really was his main intention or what. But he probably did see that she would be an easy victim. I, I'm surprised he went through the trouble of locking the door back. It is very strange. But if, he's a na- if his sister lives, like, six doors down, then maybe he was thinking about that. Broad daylight, too. Yeah. Not even, or maybe just about 8 a.m. When other people are probably driving, going to work or whatever. That's really, very ballsy. Yeah, just stupid. Uh, Well, they're criminals, so. Yes. Yeah, apartments like that, they need to have security cameras I'm sure they do now. Back then, I mean, it was only 2014. They should have had them then, too, though. 
True. I agree. But so those, the the uh, storefront, the camera only showed like to the stop sign or something. It didn't really show right. all the way to her door. Yes. So the camera angle from the front of the building is pointed like diagonally out. And so you can catch the corner of their lot. And then you see like the buses go by and some cars turning. And then the second camera looks like it's on just attached on the right side of the building. And it catches like the very front of like the first building in that complex. So whether she lived in that one or further in, but you can see her walking, going back home. So the man was just lying in wait. And the uh, court transcripts did say that the bus driver, Mr. Saints, testified to seeing a black male walking around. And, I mean, that would be a description for Julius Garnett. Yeah, but that's just... But that's just, that could have been anybody. Could have. Or maybe he knew after the fact what the suspect looked like and said that in his testimony. So... That part is unknown. Huh. But if it wasn't for him being like, where's your mommy? Because yeah, she's there was, every day. That he knows was good who on she him. Was. Good on him. He could have, I'm not saying anything could have happened to the daughter if she'd walked back by herself, but the fact that he was not comfortable letting a five-year-old off the bus without an apparent around. Heck no. So good job for him all around. Yeah, something could have happened to her too. Mm-hmm. I know, but she's thinking about, like, if she had walked by herself back to her apartment, the door is locked. She'd been sitting outside by herself until... Or if she had a key, I'm glad she... Didn't find the mom, yeah. Yeah. But if her daddy didn't get off work until, like, hours or so later, you know, she could have been all by herself just sitting outside waiting on someone or if a, a neighbor came and helped her, but could have been the wrong neighbor. Well, that wraps up today's episode. Thanks, as always, for listening. We will be back next week. Follow us on Instagram at Caught Red Podcast, or check us out on Facebook as well. And like I said, if you've got recommendations, send them our way. Until next time, stay local, shop local. Murder local.